Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that we can just worship you like this, Lord, that we don't actually need, man, yes, God, if you give us a drum, it's enough. You are awesome, Jesus. You are worthy of our worship. We love you. Thank you that you respond even to the way we worship you and that you're here this morning. We just love you so much, Lord. Yeah, man. I, it was actually quite cool to, um, to worship like that a bit. I was, as we're worshiping and kind of getting these drums going, I don't know if you guys have seen like Lord of the Rings, but there's these battle scenes and these orcs have these big drums and they like start going and getting amped for battle. And it felt like that. It felt like it was kind of, it's not just worship. It's actually, it's actually warfare, you know. And um, yeah, so, so I'm preaching this morning on, if you need a title, it's, it's the armor of God. And it's tempting to just shut off because anyone who's been in church for like more than a year, you've heard a preach on the armor of God. It's like one of those old favorites, but it's because it's important. There's, you know, we're actually living in, we're living in a war. Um, you know, I actually wanted to, I, I used to be a bit of a, a mischievous man, Skabenga. Um, but I wanted to ask this fight of like this question of who's ever been in a fight, you know, and I've, I've been in several. I also had four brothers, so it wasn't all just hugs and high fives. Um, but actually the, the answer is that we, we've all been in a fight. We're actually in this ongoing fight. And um, what's amazing, you know, we've been hearing so much about how God is our father and we're added to this family and that is true, but also God is at war with the enemy and the battleground of this war is, is us. We are, you know, wars generally are fought over territory. It's the big thing that people fight over in battles. We're going to go invade those guys because we want what they have. And the territory of this battle is actually us. The territory that God and Satan are warring over is our hearts and our souls. And um, yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to actually just read, I want to convince you of the fact that we are in a war. If we read Ephesians 6 verse 10 to 18, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when, not so that if, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And so, the first thing you need to know about armor 
is that you're in a battle. If you didn't know that, I hope you kind of, you see it now. We are actually in battle. And the beautiful thing is that God is our dad, but he is also the warrior. And you can see this. I mean, I have three little kids who I love, and with them, my heart is always tender, loving, protective, kind. But let some oak step through my gate and try and cause trouble with my kids. I'm not going to, in that moment, be loving kindness. I'm going to go Old Testament on that guy quickly. And uh, yeah, so, so there is this war. There is this struggle that talks about. Some of the translation says our battle is not against flesh and blood. And there is actually this war. Now, the beautiful thing about the war is that the devil, he's actually already been decisively beaten. Okay, God has already whipped him. But he's not dead yet. And so he's defeated by what Jesus did on the cross. And his mission now, I don't know if you've ever seen these videos of like a wounded lion. And like they're basically in the death throes, generally, predators just try and kill everything around them. It's like he's dying. And so his mission now, he knows he's been beaten. So his objective is just to take down as many of us as he can with him. And so he just wants to cause as much kind of destruction and chaos and pain as he can before his time is up. And you and I, we're the territory that he wants to take out. And, uh, you know, the problem is that this war is happening, and it's not like you can just be Switzerland. Now, you guys all know Switzerland, generally, they're neutral. So they've got a policy that says they don't get involved in war. So you'll never see Switzerland sending their army out to any other battle. They're like, us, we here? We've got the bank accounts. You all go fight. And that worked well until in the 1800s, Switzerland got invaded. And suddenly, you're not so neutral anymore. And so the problem is that in the kingdom of heaven, there is actually no Switzerland. It's not like you can just say, well, I get that there's this battle, but hey, I'm not part of it. If you put up Matthew 12, 30, these are Jesus' words. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. So it's not like you can just say, I'm on the sidelines. If you're not with him, you actually are against him. Because there are sides. There's no neutral ground in this thing. So there is this war. You are involved. You're going to need some equipment. And you're going to need to get your head in the game. And so it says there, it doesn't say, you know, so verse 13 of that Ephesian scripture. It says, verse 13, therefore, so this is happening because it's happening and you're in, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you're going to be able to stand. The day of evil is coming. You're going to have to stand eventually. But the very cool thing is, you know, we... Often when people, this kind of armor of God preach, they, they think, you know, they had the Romans who were around at that time, and they used to, generally the perception is that, um, you know, Paul was looking at the Roman soldiers and like using them as an analogy. But actually, he's referring back to an old passage in Isaiah, where it actually talks about God. It says that God is coming, and when he comes, he is going to be dressed in this armor. So this passage on the armor and what it all looks like is actually from Isaiah. Paul wasn't comparing him to the Roman soldiers. He was comparing him to 
a prophecy in the Old Testament of what God was going to look like when he comes. So this battle that's going on, the cool thing is it's not like it's mine. I don't have to just get my armor on and look around like, cool, who am I going to fight? Who wants some? It's actually the battle I'm joining is an already going battle. It's not my own battle that I'm running off to fight. It's actually God's battle. And this armor that he gives, it's not actually only the armor of God. So God supplies it, yes. But it's also God's armor. This is what he dresses like. This is what Isaiah described him as in the Old Testament. And so God's been fighting this battle all along. And what we're actually doing now is we're just joining the ranks. We're getting enlisted. And when you join the army, you don't join the army and they give you a gun. You're like, oh, I'm going to go take those oaks. It's like, no, the commander says, that's where we're going. That's the battle. That's, if you're joining, that's where we're going. Because otherwise you're not a soldier, you're just a vigilante. And so, yeah, this war is about this territory and we are ultimately the territory. And the two sides of this thing are there is God who is fighting for us to rescue us and to make us his and to make us look like him. And then there's the devil who is also fighting for us to destroy us and to make us look like him. Both sides ultimately want us to look like them. And so going into this battle, you need actually some weapons. But the thing about a weapon is if I just give Mike a gun right now, like Mike has a gun, he doesn't know how to load it, doesn't know how to take the safety off, doesn't know how many rounds are in it, doesn't necessarily even know which end is the pointy end. But you've actually, oh, Shukran's your guy if you want to know. But, um, you know, so the thing about weapons is that you actually need to know them. You have to be so familiar with them. And what's amazing, when guys join the army, I mean, I love, I love like, macho Rambo guns and army and, like, army movies, like, those kind of things I get super amped about. Um, Ali loves them too, I think. She says she does for my sake. Um, but when these guys join the army, they give them a weapon, and then they train them. And they literally, if you watch some of the old Marines and how they used to train, they got given a gun and they had to sleep with the gun. They went to the toilet with the gun. They carried the gun around with them all the time. They knew how to take the gun apart in the dark. They knew how to put it back together in the dark, in the cold. If it jammed, they could strip that thing down in like 30 seconds flat, put it back together. And they were so familiar with this weapon because they spent so much time with it that when the day of evil came, they knew exactly what to do. It wasn't about thinking, what do I do? Where's my bullets? It was like, no, point it, pull the trigger. That was kind of the, there's actually this amazing thing called the Rifleman's Creed. So when they joined the army, there was actually a, one of the guys, they, in training the people, they would have their gun and then they had this creed. It's a, it's a doctrine. It's a thing they used to repeat over and over. And I'm actually going to read it to you because it's epic. Um, so the Rifleman's Creed is this. It says, this is my rifle. And these guys would basically all stand with their rifles and they would recite this thing over and over and over. And it says, this is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. My rifle is my best friend. It is my life. I must master it as I must master my life. My rifle without me is useless. Without my rifle, I am useless. I must fire my rifle true. I must shoot straighter than my enemy who's trying to kill me. 
I must shoot him before he shoots me. I will. My rifle and myself know that what counts in this war is not the rounds we fire, the noise of our burst, nor the smoke we make. We know that it is what we hit that counts. We will hit. My rifle is human, even as I, because it is my life. Thus I will learn it as a brother. I will learn its weaknesses, its strengths, its parts, its accessories, its sights, and its barrel. I will ever guard it against the ravages of weather and damages, as I will ever guard my legs, my arms, my eyes, and my heart against damage. I will keep my rifle clean and ready. We will become part of each other. We will. Before God, I swear this creed. My rifle and myself are the defenders of my country. We are the masters of our enemy. We are the saviors of my life. So be it, until victory is America's and there is no enemy but peace. Then that kind of... But you get the picture. Like, this is how these guys felt about their weapon. That thing was like their wife. It was always with them. They knew it perfectly. And when stuff happened, I mean, you guys know what muscle memory is like. You can make coffee without even looking at it. You know, the spoon and, you know, you've done something so many times, you're so familiar with it that you can do it almost without thinking. And that is actually, ultimately, how we have to understand weapons. Because there's not time, often, in the battle to think. And so, you know, luckily God gives us these epic weapons, this armor. And even that, like I hope you said, like armor, it's battle terminology. If you went, well, maybe on Black Friday, you might need armor if you go to the mall. But if you walked into the mall in armor, people are going to be like, dude, what are you doing? But we're not in the mall. We're on, you know, we're on the battlefield. So, so what does this armor look like? And how do we use it? So let's quickly put verse 14 up there again of Ephesians. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So the whole fall of man, the whole reason we're in this mess, because of one lie. The devil came, deceived Eve. Even there, she actually, he just planted doubt. He said, like, did God really say that? And he tricked her. And she lost faith in God in that moment, went her own way, and now we're in this kind of mess. But the devil has always been a liar. And he wants to lie to us, but he also wants to make us, like him, a liar. And so we need to actually live in truth. We need to live in light. And that means two things. It's both we need to know truth. We need to know what it looks like. We need to know the truth about who God is and who we are in him. And that's what he's been doing from the start of this whole church plant is basically undoing the lies. The world is trying to tell us a million things about who we are. And God has been saying, actually, no, this is it. You are my children. I am your dad. You are my people. I am your king. And he's been doing this thing over and over and over because actually the devil keeps coming to us and saying, no, you're not. You're not worthy. You're not loved. You're not special. You're not. And so we need to understand truth. But it can be tricky because the Bible says that the devil masquerades around as an angel of light. And the problem is if the devil walks in here looking like the devil with like horns and tails and fire and stuff, you're not stupid. You're going to see him. You'll be like, I know who you are. Uh-uh. You're going to run. But he doesn't do that because 
knows we're not that stupid. So he comes looking often like an angel. Looks like the right thing. Looks like the good thing. Makes me feel good. When you see the devil, as he really is, you're, not, you're going to feel fear. He looks scary. But often these things, they make us feel good or they look good, but they're deceptions. And so we have to know how to live according to truth. And the only reason to do that is actually you need the Holy Spirit. I did all, I'm like, Holy Spirit, what is truth here? What is actually happening here? You come and show me. Because you, Holy Spirit, you see through all this stuff. Come and help me to live in truth. And even now, often, like the Holy Spirit comes and he corrects things where there's stuff that gets a little bit messed up and I don't quite see it clearly. And that's a problem. And so he comes and he brings us truth. And we need to live according to truth, which is found in the word of God. And that's always an easy thing for me. Someone's like, hey, do this thing. I'm often like, yeah, my Bible doesn't say that. I don't have to think too hard about those ones. But also I've got to know that weapon. Well, I have to spend time with the word of God a lot so that I can actually see truth and lies. And the best way to tell a counterfeit bill, so these guys who, who look for counterfeit money, um, I think James shared this with us a while ago, but the way they train people to spot counterfeit money is not to sit with fake money. They give them real money. You get to know the feel and the weight and the texture and the smell and the little watermarks and all the million little things on a note. And if you know what the original looks like, when the counterfeit comes, you're like, that doesn't line up. This is counterfeit money. We also need to be those who speak the truth. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. This is the thing, when, you, you know, when you're in an army, when you join the army, a lot of that is you lay down your old self. You don't even get to wear what you want to wear when you join the army. You don't get to choose your haircut like Shukran and me. But they do. They're like you're in the army now. Here's your clothes. This is where you'll go. This is where you'll sleep. You're laying down your old life to join in with the greater cause so we have to put off our old selves our old nature which sometimes wants to duck wants to hide the ugly parts of us we don't cover our sins we confess them we live in the light as he is in the light and this whole preach came around because Carmel on Wednesday had this amazing thing we did in our little home group of basically what are we feeding ourselves because you are what you eat. So what is the stuff that we're eating? And we broke up into little groups and just as guys started talking about what they're actually eating, I'm like, wow, a lot of that stuff's quite unhealthy for us. And there was this beautiful moment of repentance and breakthrough and praying with each other and actually, in bringing those lies out, they were dealt with. We were living in the light. And the beautiful thing about living in the light is that what the devil does is he comes and he likes to accuse. So, like, you've all heard a lot of my stories of me when I was a very dodgy person. And I did some terrible stuff, actually. 
But there came a moment where I confessed it before God and I found grace and forgiveness and salvation. And then the devil used to try and come and he'd be like, who are you in church to stick your hand up? I know what you did. I was sitting there and I was like, yeah, yeah, me too. But that guy's dead. He confessed his sins. He died to them. That was old Adam. And so it's not like the devil can surprise me with any of my own filth. It's already dealt with. It's out. It's in the light. It's in truth. God has seen it. God has dealt with it. And actually, I've disarmed an arrow that he shoots at me because it's, it's blunt. So that is this belt of truth to both see and know truth for ourselves and then to live it and to speak it. The breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. You know, you, you, don't only, you don't only need weapons that fire. You have these beautiful things called defensive weapons. In fact, in the army, they spend almost an equal amount in their budget on defense as they do on offense. Like often on tanks, you'll see these tanks with these little blocks on them. That stuff is called reactive armor. If you shoot that, it actually explodes back at you and destroys. So if you shoot a missile at that thing, as it hits the tank, that little block in the tank explodes and actually destroys the missile before it can do damage. So it's a defensive. Defense is also a weapon. And the breastplate of, breast of righteousness and the helmet of salvation is this incredible defensive weapon because righteousness is actually not something that we can pick up and put on ourselves. Righteousness is something God gives us. It's something that, you know, we're not righteous because of anything we did. We're righteous because of what God did. And what righteousness means, it's right standing. So if I need to renew my license and I go to the traffic department and I have a lot of outstanding fines, I go there nervous because I'm like, I am not in right standing with the traffic department right now. And I don't know what's going to happen when I give them my license. And so I'm, I'm unsure and I'm not at ease. But if I've paid them all, I go to the traffic department, I say, here's my license, here's my renewal fee, give me. And then you stand in a queue for like two hours and then you get it. Um, but that is what righteousness is. It's knowing that you are square. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can actually be squared up with God. Because if he were to deal with us according to our, you know, how we really are, we'd probably all be in quite a lot of trouble. Thankfully, he actually says, you know what? I know how deep in the hole you are. Because you're in a hole and you can't pay that debt, I'm going to come and pay it for you. And that is the, the work that he did on the cross. Because he died on the cross so that we could have right standing with God if we accept it. But that's the thing. We've got to actually say, yes. I have a lot of outstanding fines and I can't pay them. Jesus, will you pay them for me so that I can live in right standing with God? But when you have that on, that's a beautiful thing because then when the devil comes and says all these accusations and lies, and the Bible calls him the accuser, when he comes and accuses, you can actually say, actually, you know what? I'm all paid up. I'm square. And the beauty of that is that we should never have actually been able to live in right standing with God. 
but because he loved us, he made a way. And this helmet of salvation, you know, what Satan wants is to make us like himself. So Satan rebelled against God. He was in heaven. He was an angel, actually. But he rebelled and has been rebelling against God ever since. And what he wants is for us to join him in his rebellion against God. And like we saw, if we're not for God, we actually are against him. We actually are in rebellion against him if we don't know him, if we haven't given ourselves to him. And so we need to fight this by constantly putting on righteousness. So as much as I am saved and that I gave my life to Jesus and he did this incredible work on the cross and I now have a relationship with him, so I'm saved and that if I got shot right now, I would go to heaven. I'm confident in that. I know that. I would see Jesus face to face. But I'm not yet perfect. I'm still being saved. There are a lot of parts of me that although I have right standing before God, there are parts of me that aren't yet fully redeemed. And so I've got to every day put on righteousness in some of those areas. I've got to say, actually, you know what? I can't just go on like I am in this way. I've got to change. I've got to let God come in and make that part of me also. He's got to save me, even as he has saved me. So I'm saved and I'm being saved, even as I live and I walk with him. But I've got to put that on every single day. And every time I get it wrong, I've got to stop and say, okay, God, I'm sorry, man. I, I messed that up. Would you save that area in me again? And his mercies on you every morning. And he does save me again every day as I, as I walk with him. And the great thing is if I live in right standing with him, I don't need to be scared of anything. You know, imagine knowing that the president of the Republic of South Africa has got your back. You've got a direct line to him. No matter what happens, you can call him. Say, Uncle Cyril, I'm in trouble. Imagine how much confidence it would give you knowing that you can call the president and he's going to come, the highest authority in the land. And that's what righteousness is when you know you're saved. The highest authority in the land has got your back. And so you need to know that. That's the helmet. It's this thing on your head. You almost need to like protect your brain even against what the world often says by knowing that you're saved. Protecting your own mind with the knowledge that you're righteous and saved. These feet fitted with readiness to spread the gospel. I love this one. Um, you know, the one thing the devil hates is when we share the gospel because it robs him of territory. It undoes his work. He can spend a lifetime trying to entrap and mess someone up, and in a moment, they give their hearts to Jesus, and that whole investment of the enemy comes to sweet nothing. And I love that. Um, and there is a little bit of me as much as I've been saved, there's still a little bit of me that likes a bit of a kickback now and then. And this is one of those fights I love because the devil wants to take us out and he wants to take everyone out. And every time 
someone gets saved, I'm like, Cravio. I'm like, yes, we just kicked him in the teeth a little bit and he's hurting. And I like, I do, I, I like that feeling. I get very satisfied knowing that I've ruined the devil's day a little bit. It is, it's lacquer. Um, like a healthy outlet for that thing we have. Um, but it's, it's being ready to share the gospel of peace. And it's two things. It's a, it's a readiness in heart. Because sharing the gospel is probably at some point going to get you into some trouble. Okay. It takes great boldness to share the gospel. Are you willing to be mocked when you share the gospel with your boss? Or your parents or your siblings or those people close to you? Are you willing to be persecuted? Are you willing to be a little bit embarrassed? Be ready in your heart. Know it's going to cost you. But do it. Also, do you believe it? Like if you're going to share the gospel, sit and decide. Do I really actually believe this thing? Is it as true for me? Because you've got to know this thing's going to save you. You literally can't go and, you know, Ali and I will often see this in our kids. If we live a certain way, we see it come out in our kids. And I can tell them as much as I want, do what I'm telling you. If they don't see me do it, they're like, Dad, you don't believe that. I'm not going to believe it. Do you believe the gospel for yourself? Do you know it is the hope of salvation? It is the only hope of salvation for mankind. It is the only answer. No matter what you do to try and fix people and the world outside of Jesus and salvation, it means nothing. You can change someone's whole moral behavior, and they can be lovely, beautiful, tax-paying, non-speeding, ethical citizens and still die and go to hell. We can't just change behavior. Salvation is the only hope for mankind. doesn't matter if we manage to feed everybody. Salvation is the only hope for mankind. You need to know that. And then knowing it, know that outside of salvation, people are going to spend an eternity in hell. And that's a hectic thing. Like, I know you're not supposed to, like, say stuff like that. But it's the truth. It's not discriminatory. It's the word of God. There's only one way. And I'm actually being cruel if I don't tell people that. And then a readiness of mind. So this might sound dumb, but do you know how to share the gospel? Practically. Like, do you know what it is? And I, I often practice this thing. I, like, I drive around quite a lot for work and I often have like, time. And so I, I play out little scenarios. I'm like, what would I do if I'm in the queue and I start a chat? Can I, in 30 seconds in a queue, communicate the gospel effectively? Or if I have got an hour with someone to really and so be ready in your mind on how to share the gospel have tactics have strategies have little know your rifle so that when the time comes you can whip it out because it's only effective if you use it the shield of faith 
Now, faith in itself isn't going to really help you. Okay, we've all got faith. Who feels like they don't have faith? Just quickly. We don't know what faith is. Okay. So everyone walked in, and you sat on those people. You didn't shake it. You didn't check under it. You walked in and you sat on it because it was a pew and you recognized it, confident in knowing that it would take your weight. That's essentially what faith is. The only reason you have faith is that you all have had experience of chairs. You spent a lot of time around chairs. You know what chairs are and how they work, so you walked in and you sat on the chair knowing that the chair was going to take your weight. You had faith. But it's the chair that caught you at the end of the day. And that is what faith is. Faith in itself, you can have faith in a million things. If your faith is not in God, your shield's made of paper. And that's a dangerous thing. Um, you know, they did a study actually with soldiers where they took Kevlar vests and they took the, they've got a ceramic pad in the front here that's actually the thing that stops the bullet and takes most of the punch and they took them out. But the soldiers still wore the vest and they went off into battle, and um, a lot more of them died, actually, because wearing the vest, they had this confidence, like, I've got Kevlar. Even though they know the plate's not in there, the familiarity, they, like, I've got the vest, I'm braver. But because the vest wasn't properly made, it didn't actually save them. And so that's the problem of a false faith. It's false armor. Because you're wearing it, you feel a little braver. You go and take on fights that you probably shouldn't, and you get hurt. You'll know this if you, like me, have not gone to gym for a long time. And then you decide to go to gym. In your mind, you're like, I go to gym. I used to bench press stuff. I'm going to do it. And then in your mind, you, still, you do it. But your body is like, dude, we forgot that long time ago. And your faith, your faith in yourself is, is false. You go in thinking you can do what you can't do, and then afterwards you're like walking around like a cripple for like a week until you come right. And so our faith has actually got to be rooted in God. And so God himself, he is our shield. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. He is our provider and father and friend and the one who is faithful. Our faith has to be in him and you'll only have faith in him if you know him and if you spend time getting to know him. The sword of the spirit. Everything else is a defensive weapon until you get to this one. The sword of the spirit is this. It is the living word of God. Now, often hear that. What does it really mean? You have the written word of God, the Bible, that's there, but it's not necessarily living in that if I put it there and I go and I come back, it still didn't run off. Okay, it's the word of God, written word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, but unchanging. But then the living word is the Holy Spirit. He was, you know, in Genesis, it even says, in the beginning was the word, it was the Holy Spirit who hovered over the face of the waters. And the living word of God is our weapon of power against the enemy's lies. 
And so as he comes and tries to deceive me and trick me, because that is always the devil's primary weapon. It is always deceit. And so in a changing culture, what is truth? What does the Holy Spirit say? Because that is what is true. The problem with culture is that this world is actually enemy territory. It belongs to the devil. It's been given to him. So he actually has power to shape and change culture and worldviews and politics and all these million things that are trying every day to tell us who we are, what we should believe, what we can and can't say, what we can wear, how we can behave. The whole world is trying to tell you the whole time who you are. And we have to keep going back to the Word of God. Actually, Holy Spirit, what do you say? Yes, in this moment, my flesh wants to do this thing so badly. And the world says, go with your feelings. Do what makes you feel good. Get yours. It is the doctrine of our age. Do what makes you feel good. Live your own truth. You decide. And those things, guys, I'm not standing up here. I feel those things. I fight those same battles. There is much that I would love to do. And the Holy Spirit says, no, that stuff will kill you. That is not truth. Let me inform you. Let me change you. Let me even change your desires. It is the Holy Spirit. What does the Word of God say? These temporary little fleeting pleasures. What does He say? I was born this way. What does He say? How do I act in this situation? What does He say? This is my rifle. We have to get to know this stuff. It's got to become second nature to us. So what I've done now is to remind myself of this when I get dressed in the morning. As I put my shoes on, I'm like, Lord, are my feet ready to take the gospel of peace? Because I, I need to be familiar with it. And I, honestly, when I was kind of... Ali and I were chatting, and she was feeling that this armor of God could be an amazing thing. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to preach on the armor of God. It's lame. Everyone's heard it like a million times. And then I read it. And I was actually, I was like, God, I, this rifle's in my cupboard. I haven't seen the thing in like years. It was, I was like, no, flip. I've got, to, I've got to get this right for me. And so if me, then you. As I put my pants on, Put my belt in. I'm like, Lord, belt of truth, help me today. Help me to see truth. Lord, are there, are there things I've believed? Is there stuff? Am I walking around with fake armor anywhere? Like, come and show me. Help me to speak truth. Holy Spirit, help me to even speak truth in situations today that will glorify you. Give me words for people. Give me the hidden truths. I don't really wear a hat, but... As I like wash my face and brush my teeth and 
don't really do my hair either, but I'm like the helmet of salvation. Jesus, thank you again that I'm saved. Would you keep saving me? Keep reminding me even when I'm saved. Because I have those moments in my day where I get it wrong and I'm like, am I even saved? God's like, yeah, man, I love you. My boy, I've got you. It's okay. We're going to get through this. Come and save all these other areas in me. Yeah, okay, he'll do it. And the breastplate of the breastplate of righteousness, that one for me, I'm often, you know, I'm quite excited actually on that last day when we'll get to heaven and you see some of the stuff I did because it was rough. Um, but really, it's, and for me, it's, I don't glory in that stuff. I'm like, I'm not at all proud of what I did. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm so glad I don't live that life anymore. But when you see what I was and what Jesus did with me, it's, I'm like, God, you're amazing. And I'm excited for that day because you guys are going to see it. You'd be like, wow, God really did do a miracle. Because um, it is, it's, it's a miracle. Um, but also, Lord, help me to f- be righteous today. That scripture, like, search me, O God, know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me. Like, I pray that. And I ask him to do it. Shield of faith. I always want an increase in faith. Always want to be more daring and bold for him. I always want to know him more. Sword of the Spirit. And this one's tricky because it's so relational. You know, I can hear in a crowded room if Ellie calls me because I know her voice well because I live with her, which is another miracle. Um, for, yeah, not that she lives that, yeah, I have a wife is an incredible thing. Um, not for her sake. Uh, but it's, yeah, man, like, do, do you know what he sounds like? Do you hear that voice in a crowded, noisy, busy life? We spend time with him. Do you know him? And I try and do that a lot. But the best part of all with this whole battle is not that we're in it, but it's who we're in it with and what he is like as a commander. And, you know, this is where the whole military analogy breaks down because there's always some dude at the top giving out orders and everybody else just gets to run off and basically get shot to pieces. But he's not that kind of warrior. You know, if we, when we're going to end with this, so if we put up Romans 8, verse 31 to 37, we're actually going to go all the way to 39. That's right, Kevin. Sorry, dude. What then shall we say in response to this? For if God is for us, who can be against us? We're on the winning side. He's for us. It doesn't actually matter what the enemy brings or who he brings. Because we've got the guy on our side who counts. We've got God. He's already won this thing. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? 
It is God who justifies, and I love that. He's justified you. Who's going to bring any charge? It doesn't matter. Imagine you're talking to the president on the phone and a speed cop comes and you're going to be like, just hang on, just talk quickly here. <laughs> In that moment, who you know matters much more than the speed cop. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers. Neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the side that you're on if you're in the army. And you have to pick a side, unfortunately. This war is everywhere. My side's winning. I love that everyone would be on this side. But more that in this battle, we're not being sent out alone. We have got a God who is with us, and we are going to face battles. I love it that he says that he's convinced that all these things we're going to experience, hardship, nakedness, persecution, when the Bible says that, it's not like, hey, this thing might happen. It's like, you're going to go through this stuff. Life is going to be hard. It really is. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means you're in the battle. Yet in all those things, nothing, none of those things can separate us from the love of God. And because we're with him, we actually are more than conquerors. We're winning because of him. But I do have this like, concern that we hear this thing and we kind of walk out of here and walk back into battle in like flip-flops and PT shorts. Because it doesn't matter if you have all the armor and all the weapons and then they're sitting in your cupboard when you go to work. Because then when you need it, it's not going to help you. And so for me, I've done this thing. I've made this literally a part of my morning routine now. This is what I do every day because I need to be familiar. This is my rifle. I need to know how to do this in the dark, in the cold, in traffic, in busyness. In crisis, when I'm bored, need to have these things ready all the time. And for me to know, I need to know that I'm dressed. And so, can we do this? Like, get the scripture, print it out, put it somewhere in your day that it becomes a part of your every day. Because every single day, you're marching off to war. You are going into battle. You are in enemy territory, even 
now. This building, this church is a little outpost in enemy territory. Bad news, the earth belongs to Satan. But we are God's. I really do want us as a congregation, as a little unit. We are the advance scout party to the territory of Brooklyn, set to establish a base and now more territory. Can we be properly dressed? Can we make this a part of our day? Because we have to. This is how you survive. This is how you make it through the war to the end.